Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Flawed Theology Podcast. We've got a unique experience today. We've got our first international guest, and he's all the way on the other side of the world in Australia, and his name is Aaron. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you. (laughs) Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about your faith background and kind of where you where you started in that realm. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a single parent, only child family. So I was just uh, mum and I in a very Pentecostal small church. So I say very Pentecostal uh, on purpose because there was lots of the praying in tongues, the the faith healings, the slaying in the spirit, and all that kind of thing that you know is associated with it. And it was probably a church of maybe. 60 to 100 people on a good day. So we're not talking a mega church. I I didn't really know anything else. Went to a very strict conservative primary school or elementary school, as you might call it over there. And, you know, we were taught young earth creationism, um, six day creation, all that sort of thing. And, would you know, actively teach against things like evolution and all that kind of thing. So we were pretty anti-science in a lot of ways, which you don't know anything else at the time. But when you sort of you deconstruct in your 30s and you're like, oh, shit, like I actually need to learn basic science now. <laughs> like, Is that common in Australia? Because I thought that young earth creationism no. was kind of just an American thing. Australia is very secular usually, so um, we do have pockets of sort of quite religious communities within Australia. Um, We do have private schools, obviously, which typically Catholic, which I think might have some kind of mishmash curriculum i'm not really sure but the the <laughs> um the full-on six-day creationism approach is, is unique it's not definitely not uh the norm here in australia okay. um, even being super religious is not the norm here at all it's um definitely a subculture so small church pentecostal it sounds like pentecostal there is very similar to pentecostal here like very much about the gifts of the spirit and yep. More about the emotional experience of your faith versus the like doctrinal side. Is that similar there as well? Yeah, I mean, like we we definitely had uh, a lot of both. I mean, like there was definitely the yeah the emotional side of things. We had fairly regular altar calls with you know the the keys playing pads and stuff, and <laughs> you know that that was pretty regular. But there was also what you could would call sound biblical teaching as well. At least in my church, like they were very into biblical inerrancy, so they kind of went hand in hand <laughs> with each other. So really had the two for one with that, and that would apply to everything. So I mean, like they would. There'd be sermons where they would pick out the most obscure verse and we'd be like, well, the word of God is is good for, you know, for teaching and all that. And so, you know, we're going to find something out of this like obscure bit of Habakkuk or something. And that was definitely the approach that I, I grew up in to the point where I would go to other churches and be like, oh, well, these guys aren't very biblical. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> a watered down church. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't living uh, according to the Bible. You know, meanwhile, I'm not, I'm happy to eat shellfish and stuff like that. So right. I wasn't either. So. so when you were young in this religious school, did you ever have any doubts about it or did you just kind of accept it all as as it was presented to you? Yep, accepted it all uh, hook, line, and sinker. So there was no room for doubt or anything like that at all. Um, it wasn't even on the table. Like, it wasn't even... I was such a good Christian. I had no even, like, little inkling. Like, I hear a lot of 
people saying that, you know, even as a child, they suspected that something was wrong or something wasn't quite um, accurate. But I had none of that. I was 100% knew that I knew that I knew that this was all accurate and right and correct. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, it really wasn't until my late 20s that that sort of started to crack, which, you know, we can get into. But yeah, that was quite a, oh, shit sort of moment. Yeah. And I assume your your mother was the principal driver of that. You know, she was devout. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how you landed in that world. And so you didn't know anything different. So that's just what felt correct. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, mum was an anomaly within her own life. Like her family was borderline anti-religious anyway. And I don't know (laughs) how she flipped the script and became a Christian, but she did in in the 70s. Um, And it was was very important to her that I was raised in a godly way and raised to love Jesus. And like she used to, I remember one time, at least once, she would, she took me out of church to try and get me to speak in tongues and was getting really frustrated with me because I was like seven and was <laughs> just, you know, throwing like, you know, Timon and Pumbaa into my, you know, tongues like language and just being stupid. Yeah. But I was saying like oh, just nonsense words because that's what it sounded like and was just, being a kid and her getting really upset because this was super important to her that I learned how to pray in tongues. And, you know, I don't want to fault her for that because she thought she was doing, you know, something important and right. But that, yeah, that was definitely a a very strong influence (laughs) from her because I didn't really have any other adults in my life that had that kind of sway. It was just me and her. Mm -hmm. Did you have any friends who were outside of the church? Uh, nope. <laughs> there was no one. Makes a lot more sense why you accepted it so fully then, since yeah. you were in that bubble and you never left. Yep. Yeah, right up until leaving high school, I didn't really have, it wasn't really until I got a job, like in my late teens, um, just at a supermarket where I had any kind of real interaction with people who weren't Christian. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Mm, wow. That's very similar to my upbringing. That was was fundamentalist Baptist. So we didn't have the tongues and all that stuff, but yeah, it was very insular too. Like I only knew Christians only ran into non-Christians. Like if I was in quote unquote, the world, you know, like yeah. the store, I like my first job was like at Burger King. It's like the first heathens I ever really spent any amount of time with, you know, and I was like, Oh, yeah. these, these people are all cool anyway, you know, but I thought they were yeah. all lost and going to hell. So <laughs> I would tell them, like, I would tell them mm-hmm. off if they would say, oh, Jesus Christ or something. And, like, they were, oh, shit, sorry, dude, like, not like that. And I would get all sanctimonious and, like, no, I'd rather you didn't say that. And I was like, what an idiot. Like, just yeah. leave people alone. <laughs> so growing up that way, what kind of led to questioning later in life? Like, what was there something specific? Was there a triggering event or events that led you down that path? Usually when... You know, tragedy happens that's that can often be a trigger to push people away from god so like my mum um passed away when i was 12 I, i'd spent four years watching her get sicker and sicker and eventually having to look after her or she died from cancer so that was like a pretty major life event but that really just pushed me even closer into you know the christianity and believing that that was god's plan and purpose for my life and that you know i had people telling me that he's he must have a really good plan for you because you know that's this is this is really bad <laughs> sort of right. like that makes any sense like <laughs> right. god, has, god has got something good in store for you because he's really shitting on you right now like right um, i didn't even have any kind of doubt really until 
I want to say maybe 2012. Like, and so this is, I'm like in my twenties by now. If I go really far back, I think the thing that I noticed was we we went overseas, my wife and I, after we got married for six months. Um, and like, we sort of traveled around a bit. We tried to go to church as often as we could, like different international churches around Europe and stuff, but probably only went maybe once every six weeks. And I remember feeling it's funny how I don't feel quite as close to God now that I'm not going to church as often. Um, hmm, that why should it matter how often I go to church? Like, surely if God's real, then He should be real to me all the time. Like, you know, you don't read a history book and then start to doubt the contents of that book more time between when you've read it. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of conveniently packed that um, intrusive thought away in a box and forgot about it. Um, and just, like, was I like, not dealing with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That sounds familiar. Sort of just like, oh, well, I'm just not going to think about that. And so like six more years go by and like we have a couple kids and we have done a couple of sort of, sort of major moves. And I don't know if your church has ever talked about like the, the still small voice, like, you know, of the Holy Spirit that would sort of whisper to you. So I had this thing going on in the back of my mind, just like it, something just wasn't right. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know what it was. I just felt like there was something out of place and I needed to, it's like, felt like there was some kind of memory I had to unlock, which sounds ridiculous, but like mm-hmm. I had to, I had to find out what this feeling was and explore it. Yeah, I, I talked this through with my my psychologist. Ended up being full blown deconversion, which you know I I ended up leaving. Um, and that that feeling sort of, I felt that feeling was satisfied after I'd completely left. But that I didn't associate that with my deconversion at all at the time. Like I, I then, you know, separate to that, I was um thinking about you know retraining and going into medicine. And so I had this 30 hours worth of biology lectures that I was listening to um, on the way to work and stuff. And I had prepared myself at the start going, okay, this is going to be full of evolutionist crap and I'm going to have to sort of wade through it and just like, they're going to be trying to convince me that evolution's true. And obviously evolution is just like the band-aid you put on when you don't want to admit that God is real, which is like the line that I'd been repeating to myself uh, and believing it for my whole life. So mm-hmm. come the end of those 30 or so lectures, I was like, wow, this actually makes sense. <laughs> like, this isn't like a, a cobbled together sort of explanation of, of the world um, desperate to ignore God and creation. This is really well thought out, easy to understand, logical explanations of, of how we came to be, like not just as a species, but like life on Earth. And I'm an analyst. In every other part of my life, I, I would use data to make decisions and you know, I wouldn't make light decisions without sort of weighing up the facts. But I realized like, shit, I'm not applying that in my religious life at all. Like that's just got a free pass to not really consider the, the actual facts of you know what is actually true and uh, I sort of had this moment where I go well okay the Bible clearly got that wrong <laughs> what else did it get wrong right. <laughs> and that started like a, a two-year period of you know I remember on the born again again podcast like Katie and Jay talking about the the sweater with a thread that sort of comes undone like that's so applicable like it was it was a slow process like I wasn't just all of a sudden I'm out goodbye like it was like a very slow well if that's not true then what else isn't true and like started to read up on you know 
the actual history of the Israelites and what the actual secular historians and archaeologists in Israel say about things like, you know, the, the Exodus and all that sort of thing and go, well, actually, hang on. <laughs> I assumed everyone thought that that was just 100% definitely true when it happened. Um, right. but no, no one actually thinks it happened. <laughs> like, right. I sort of went, okay, well, even if that's not true, surely Jesus was real and he was, you know, and loves me and he died and rose again and all that. Surely that's true. So what what should I do? I need to find a book on the historical Jesus um, and really sort of cement my faith and sort of recenter again. So I found a book by this guy who I hadn't heard of called Bart Ehrman, which makes me <laughs> chuckle now. Yeah. Um, he's a New Testament <laughs> scholar. Great. This is what I need. The book was called The Historical Jesus. I, I remember getting to the end of that book and like he sort of goes through and explains the difference between the traditional understanding of Jesus and what the actual evidence that we have tells us about Jesus and it's a very different picture and like and I was I had no idea the gospels were anonymous or anything like that like no one had ever said that in church and right every chapter I was just like holy shit yeah (laughs) (laughs) I remember getting I was mowing the lawn while I was doing that listening to this book getting to the end of it and just having this moment where I'm like I don't believe this anymore like the the switch just flicked and I'm like I can't believe this anymore like I I kind of want to like I I don't know anything else I'm like fuck what do I do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think you've heard like a lot of stories where it's the same exact thing it's like a death of a thousand cuts and then eventually there's one thing that kind of pushes you over the edge it's not that you didn't want to believe it. It's mm. that you literally couldn't anymore. And yeah. I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about deconversion. Like you'll hear people say, oh, you just didn't try hard enough or you didn't really believe it or you're never a Christian. No, that's like literally never the case. Like we all really wanted to believe this stuff. Well, maybe yeah. Susie, Susie didn't. Yeah, yeah. Know, like, Susie Ooh. never Susie never did. But like the majority of people that were like deep in, yeah. we really wanted to believe yeah, it. We guys. want it to be true. So like we yeah. didn't want to accept that everything that our life was built on was complete yeah. horseshit. Yeah, I'd, I had a lot to lose. I hadn't had any kind of conversation with my wife at this point, And I was legitimately concerned that if it came up with her that I didn't believe anymore that we would get get divorced because you know you shouldn't be unevenly yoked and like I, I knew that a couple of years ago if she told me that she didn't believe I'd probably would be having that same conversation like I couldn't imagine that ever being you know applying to me at all so so right. was she from your church yes yeah, so she um was from a related church from uh, another state and so we had met via like, a youth conference because like I was asked to go and play guitar on the worship band for a youth conference that her church was running and I stayed with her and her brother back in like 2008 and that's how we met and you know we did the long distance thing because Christians like to do that for some reason while they can't just find <laughs> something in their own city have to import them from a church from another state right uh, <laughs> You know, she she moved over here to to Adelaide where I am, and we we got married in 2012, and yeah, had very similar upbringings. Like she was, you know, very similar to me in a lot of ways, and you know, had that whole purity culture thing rammed into both of us, and yeah, and it was it was scary. Like I I was like, oh, I really don't know what what the future holds now. Like we've got two kids, one's about to start school, the same one I went to, and the other one's already at school, and it's really going to go down like this is going to ruin my life (laughs) like 
yeah. it was yeah it was t- terrifying like just the the horror of what i was being dragged into like by my own brain i was uh, nothing i've ever experienced it was just awful well this is why they tell you that the worst thing you can do is ask those questions yeah those dangerous yeah. questions you know yeah if you're too intellectual you'll fall away yeah you know and it's like that's the problem is educating yourself no that's not the problem it's yeah. that once you actually start looking into this it all falls apart that's the problem yeah yeah it's not the reading and the thinking it's the actual yeah. content of what you believed is completely fallacious so but mm. you got to scapegoat exactly. something when you're trying to brainwash people. So, yeah. so how did it come to be with your wife? Like, how did you broach that gap and have that conversation? Uh, carefully and at arm's length. So <laughs> we weren't super happy at the church we were going to anyway. And I had been quite resistant to even going to church. <laughs> and she was like, do you even consider yourself a Christian anymore? And I wow. just didn't answer. You didn't answer? I didn't answer, and the kids distracted us, and we never sort of didn't continue that. So she kind of knew already. Yeah, she, she knew, knew something was going on. Like I'd been talking with friends of ours a few months prior to that. They're Christians as well, obviously. And I'd just been throwing, like, but how do you know that sort of things back at this guy? And he's like, well, you're because, you know, the women found the tomb and they wouldn't have... I'm like, yeah, but how do you know? It's just a book that says that. And like, <laughs> yeah. just, like, I wasn't cognizant of the fact that I was leaving just yet. I was just like, I really want to make sure that I'm believing the right thing here. Yeah. And so she was aware something was going on, but not full extent until, yeah, a few months later, we just sort of had a, a conversation about it. And I think I jokingly just sort of threw in, oh, Christianity is just one big cult. And she was like, is that, is that really what you think? I'm like, oh shit! I shouldn't have said that. Like, <laughs> and I just sort of said, "Well, like, you know, I'm kind of been rethinking things a bit, and like, based on the the evidence, like, we don't know who wrote the Gospels, and they were written like 60, 70 years after the fact, and they're all kind of conflicting, and clearly are working from each other. And you know, Mark has written first, and we don't know where he got his source from, and then. Matthew seems to copy and refine Mark and so on and and then just kind of left that and then it was like another six months went by and she said that you know actually no she's she's been having doubts her whole life but didn't really know well, what know what to do with them it just sort of pushed him down and wow you know had finally allowed herself to explore those properly and I was very very clear I was saying I I am not here to lead you away like this is this is my journey and I don't want to stop you from believing it. But she she sort of came to her own similar conclusions anyway. Thank thank God, because <laughs> I think that would have been really difficult um, if she hadn't. Yeah. So so many couples I hear about separate during this process because it's just you know you're on completely different paths. And yeah, um, thankfully we we managed to stay on the same one, and uh, um, I think our relationship's even better now than it's ever been. So that's the same thing that happened with me. Yeah. Our marriage got way better after we deconverted. Oh, it's you can just be real with each other. Yeah. Like you can say, Oh yeah, that, that chick's hot on TV <laughs> instead of like yes. worrying about oh, like doesn't he love me anymore? Right. <laughs> and for lots of other things, not just that. But <laughs> so how did your since you had kids, school age kids, how did that affect them as far as like if you're going to private Christian school and now all of a sudden you don't believe in that and assuming that you view the schooling as indoctrination and Mm. Not something you want to expose your kids to. Did you make like an abrupt change or how did you 
handle that from a parenting standpoint yeah that was that's probably the hardest part and i think there's still there's not a lot of resources out there for how to handle this like there wasn't much out there as far as guidance and you know we're used to having the bible to tell us what to do so we sat our kids down like we decided to keep them into the end of the year so this was i think we'd agreed by maybe halfway through the year that we would take them out at the end of the year um there was a new school like a public school government school opening up down the road from us um which was much closer than the private school they were going to which was like half an hour away we decided to take them out and put them into this new school and that was super hard like they both sobbed like they loved going there all their friends were there and and you know it felt terrible because we didn't even really want to explain to them why like I kind of had a bit of a conversation with my son about it like he's nine now um they would have been maybe seven or eight at the time and like he'd already been had you know hell theology sort of pushed into him at this school and kind of explained to him how like I, I want to believe things that I can I can show are true and so I just we don't go to church anymore because we just don't think that there's evidence for what they're what they're talking about and like trying to explain that to a child and like he got it like and he's like but so heaven isn't real and like got quite upset about that and then would come out at night occasionally and really upset that he's worried that he's going to go to heaven and we're going to go to hell and I'm just like this is something that kids should not worry about yeah no like that's of course stuff that I worried about as a child um but like I you know there's said there's no reality where you know if one of us dies and there and there is an afterlife or there is a heaven there's no reality where I'll ever be separated from you like I'm not letting that happen so you don't need to worry about ever being apart from us like no matter what it looks like out there like if there is a god and there is a heaven then he knows that i love you and we love each other and we deserve to be together so that's all that matters and i didn't want to be like no there's no hell like (laughs) there's no heaven like yeah yeah that's a tough conversation yeah well and then you got to figure like at that young age like that's all they've ever known yeah that's a shattering change where you're saying they've been conditioned from you know probably age five to you know that they're sinners and you know that whole us versus them and then you're gonna all of a sudden say well we don't believe that anymore yeah a kid is too young to rationally even understand the concept of belief really that they just know people i trusted and loved told me this was true and now the same people are telling me that it's not true yeah i mean that's a trauma for a kid yeah and he's had a shit of a time at his new school as well like it's all the kids are mean to him and mm. he's just like wants to go back to his old school and just like we can't we wouldn't even pass the enrolment test yeah. there's an enrolment test you yeah give a statement of faith wow um gotta get a reference from your pastor and all sorts of things so like and i just i can't send you back there sounds like our kids are the same age my daughter just she's seven and she went to a religious preschool so she was like three and four yeah. and she came up to me the other day and she said, did you ever tell me that God is real? And I was like, no, I never said those words to you. Like I would have said, this is what so-and-so believes or this is what the Bible says. But we did go to church yeah. and we did send her to that school. And I said, did you think God was real? And she said, yeah, I definitely thought God was real like when I was in preschool. And then when you told me mm, yeah. that you didn't think he was real... It like blew yeah. her mind. And I yeah. guess she's been carrying this for like two years and she never said anything about it. So yeah, like like Phil was saying, kids just believe whatever you tell them, whatever trusted adult is around them in their life, they just believe that. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, I was going to say, I have the same kind of thing because like I have young kids that are in and around here, there's no preschools that are secular. 
So they're all Christian preschools. And my youngest goes to like a Methodist preschool, which is the probably the most progressive of the denominations over here. Yeah. But, you know, I go into the preschool and I, and I have to have a, like a little moment. You know, I, I sent Susie a picture the other day because it's Valentine's Day and they have a freaking part there by the sign in sheet. You know, it says Jesus loves you. And I sent a picture of it to Susie and I'm like, but does he though? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's like, I can't believe your kids are in that school. And I'm like, yeah, I, was I was like, how can you I was send like, them I don't there? have any fucking choice? You know, like <laughs> I think back to my own childhood and I'm so glad that like they don't have the fear and the trauma of hell and thinking that they're a sinner. Kids already have yeah. enough like shit to deal with growing up. Oh, yeah. Like imagine piling onto middle school, fucking rapture anxiety, you know, like, oh, yeah. Did you have rapture anxiety, Aaron? Was that a thing for you? Yeah, definitely was a factor. wasn't wasn't a settled science as far as I was aware. Like it was like, well, we think there might be a rapture, but there might not be. But just be prepared anyway. <laughs> okay. Be prepared anyway. Let's hedge our bets. Yeah, he's gonna he will come like a thief in the night. So just be careful. Make sure you're not masturbating or something. Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Which as a teenage boy, like you've got, you know, you're worried about, okay, you got all that shit to worry about. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, wouldn't God know what you're doing all the time anyway? Right. So like what does it matter what you're doing in the moment that he comes back? Yeah, well, he, was, he wants to catch you out though. Like it's yeah. it's yeah. It's nonsensical. Like, it's because of that guilt they program into you. You're like, oh, so much guilt and feeling like because we I, I was in high school in early 2000s so like columbine had only happened a few years earlier and we had that whole like oh if someone came to your school and put a gun in your face would you stand up for jesus and i was like i really don't know if i would and i felt i terrible had the same about thought that. same <laughs> like, yeah not to mention we didn't have any fucking guns in australia <laughs> <laughs> like the, the logic of it didn't make any sense but it was you know that that fear and like well you should you're not a real christian if you would want to save yourself mm -hmm. yeah it was ridiculous <laughs> So you mentioned that you like the way you met your wife was on a worship team. Yeah. So I was a worship leader and on worship teams and all that kind of stuff. And and Susie was a choir girl. But we all have that kind of musical thing. How was music part of your connection to your belief? And then how did it change like after you started questioning? Like, yeah. So I play guitar and had been playing on worship bands for a long time. And so I always felt like a bit of a disconnect between you know is this a performance or is this like is this actually worshiping and always feeling a bit guilty like you know do i do a good guitar solo to show me how much i love god or is that showing off like, i don't know absolutely loved it don't get me wrong i loved being in on worship teams and loved playing and but i guess when i left i still had a very deep emotional connection to all the songs that i grew up on and you know they weren't pop songs they were all praise and worship songs they were like hillsong and yeah things like that and so like i still now will listen to hillsong and jesus culture and planet shakers by myself in the car with no one else around <laughs> because it's nostalgic for me i won't listen to anything that i don't already know yeah and i'm like the only atheist i know who does that <laughs> i sort of give myself permission to do it because i like the feeling of remembering what that felt like i suppose and while i don't don't buy into it anymore and i sometimes get annoyed about the fact that i, I still kind of enjoy <laughs> listening to those songs like and how it was, it was all a lie and what was i doing my whole life sort of thing but well it could serve as a reminder yeah. of how far you've come and yeah. that you got out of it 
But that music is still giving you that hit yeah. of dopamine or whatever chemical it is that's yeah. making you feel happy. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's it's strange to me how I could walk into a church and join the music team and be really good and you know they would have no idea that I didn't believe any of it like I feel like that part of me that I spent so much time practicing and focusing on I just had to shut the door on that and it's just it's just there in the back of my mind but I can't ever sort of engage it anymore and I find that strange like it's still in there and I, I can put the Jesus hat on like Matt Dillahunty does on the yeah, his experience and can pretend yeah. and no one would know. Yeah. But it's just not genuine. And I find that just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I always find that interesting, like amongst musicians. And so I have a couple of friends who are like classical piano players and they play in churches, but they don't believe any of it, but it's a paycheck. Yeah. The church doesn't realize like that not everybody there is like doing it for the right reasons. But it also still feels good. Like, yeah, I mean, I've never felt so cool as to accept being in front of hundreds of people like at a yep. youth conference or something and having them eat out of the palm of your hand while you play freaking One Way by Hillsong. Yeah. Especially Mighty to Save. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, that's not proper English. Like, right. That's, <laughs> that's some version of Micah. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never heard any of these songs you guys are talking about. Yeah, you're, you missed out on the Hillsong uh, yeah. thing because you're Lutheran, so... So recently, we'll talk about Hillsong a little bit, and we'll just leave Susie in the dust for a second. But it's fine. But like, well, I think you watched the Hillsong documentary, right, Susie? I did. Yeah. So that documentary came out, and it you know exposed all the shit that was going on behind the scenes with you know Brian Houston and the dad, and all the kind of corruption and abuse that was going on. How did that affect you, especially being Australian? And then also being uh, you know a musician that played that music, like how did it affect you, like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was already very much out by that point um, when all that stuff was coming out. Hillsong is is in Sydney, which is on the other side of the country. Like, Australia is a lot bigger than just Sydney. Right. <laughs> so, we, but we were probably affected a lot more by a scandal about 10 years ago where um, there was a guy who had been telling everyone he had, he had cancer. And people who know the story will know who I'm talking about, but I won't use I know who you're talking about. <laughs> that was local to me. Like that I know oh. the family and all that. Like not heaps well, but I I know the church and everything. So he'd been saying that he had cancer and was dying and would write this song called Healer and did very well uh, out of it from a ministry perspective. Um, I played that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then one day he goes, actually, no, guys, sorry. Um, I'm actually addicted to porn and um, turns out I don't have cancer. And mm. that was just like, a, what the fuck? <laughs> like, our church was like, well, we're still going to play the song because it's a good song. Right. Lots of people pulled the song from their, their set list and like the Hillsong recalled the album and took it off the, the album and all sorts of things. And, and I remember thinking at the time, well, you know, he didn't die for your sins. Like, why are we sort of so focused on him? Like, yes, he, he failed, but he's just a person. And but like now looking at it, I'm like, well, that whole issue was just symptomatic of the larger church culture like that monster was created by the church like that mm. wouldn't have happened outside of the church like this guy lying about it to cover up and you know what he thought was this horrible horrible thing right yeah well i think that brings up kind of an interesting topic the idea of like people that are still in church i always struggle with the idea of, of like is it okay to kind of just leave people in there 
this is kind of something that came out of, again, our conversation with Bart Campolo. And he has an approach of like, well, if they're in there and they're happy, I don't try to get them out. Yeah. And Susie and I kind of like are like, mm, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if, if you're allowing people to just live a deluded life. Is that moral and ethical to just say like, oh, well, you're not hurting anybody per se, but like, but they are, but they yeah. are. Yeah. Like you are, <laughs> you're at the very least, you're hurting yourself by living a delusional life. Yeah. But it always bleeds over to other people. Always. Right. Yeah. And it talks about it, it. It really goes into that whole thing about the bigger culture of Christianity and how influencing it is and how pervasive it is. And when it seems like when you get out of religion and Christianity, you you don't lose that like evangelistic programming. But I think mm. it's like from a different perspective where you're like, I really just want to challenge people to think. Yep. It doesn't have to specifically be about christianity at the beginning but in general how do you know what is true yeah and i think like i kind of i hear what what bart was saying about that um because yeah i listened to that episode obviously um and i think it's sort of tying into i guess the differences between american and australian christianity like where i feel like christianity in some ways could be seen as a lot more benign here like it's not as strong a cultural force down here as it is over there like it's it's a bit more of a, a private quiet faith that you mostly keep to yourself and that can you can be excused for saying well then it's not hurting anyone and people get value out of it so why why upset the apple cart and i think because it's still perpetuating belief in things that are not demonstrably true like if we want to progress as people and as a society, then we need to be basing our decisions on things that we we can show are true. And if we're going to live our life based on this idea of a God that we can't prove is true um, and that he sent his son to save us from himself and <laughs> that whole rigmarole, that does influence the way you raise your children. And, you know, while it m we're not necessarily as... Um, outspoken in public about it like we don't have the same influence on politics say we are uh, not part of that crowd anymore christians don't quite have the same kind of influence on politics here as they do in the u.s but it's still definitely an undercurrent which is influencing our society like it took us quite a while to get the marriage equality bill done because of the conservative side of australia which is getting less and less um which you know is ri ridiculous um while part of me is like, yeah, burn it all down, and the other part of me is like, well, we should, you know, engage these people as people. Um, I think, you know, if people are believing fairy tales, to be blunt, um, as adults, then that is not something that people should still be doing. Like, we have reasons to not do that. And if there's a way to help get them out of that, then I'd be willing to find out what it is because it doesn't seem to matter who you talk to. Like, they still will just double down on their beliefs and it's almost like you can't even do anything. Yeah. Like, you can just plant the seed and hope that they sort of come to terms with, with it themselves and can learn how to, to live without that crutch of faith um, sort of pervading every part of their life. If we go about it, like, not attacking the faith directly, but mm. if we, like Phil said get people to think about how they know things are true and yeah. then they can start to mull over that and think about that and oh am i applying that to every aspect of my life because when you think about it the whole setup of christianity is like god is rewarding those who have bad epistemology yeah. because the only people who can believe in christianity are those 
who have bad epistemology. Yeah. So the ones who are going to heaven, okay, that's his criteria, how gullible you are yeah. or how credulous you are. Yeah. So we have to think about it like that. You can only believe in Christianity if you make the assumption or the presupposition that God even exists or even could exist. Like, you can't even actually get past that point, like, really. Yeah. You don't yeah. know. And it's like you have to suspend that question and then move on into all the thousands of years of culture built on the assumption that it exists. But we actually can't even get past that. And right. is there even any value in continuing past that? I don't think there is. I think we shouldn't be building things on this faulty assumption that he even a god even could exist and that if it does it's this god but right right because if you think about how probable or improbable just a god existing is yeah and then you take it a step further and you put all these other assumptions on top like the christian god he's personal and he has all these different attributes and he did this and he did that and yeah. this is what he says and those are really specific things like that like you said earlier is it demonstrably true? Well, I think it's demonstrably not true because of all these super specific attributes. Yeah. 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 And it's, there's always like that thing when you get into that philosophical argument, you know, then some will say, well, you don't know for sure that it's not true, but there's more evidence to prove that it's not true mm -hmm. than the evidence to prove that it's true. And in philosophy and logic, the burden of proof isn't on proving the negative. It's on proving yeah. what your claim is. So, you know, I, I feel like, on some level, you could basically derail every apologetic argument that's further down the chain from, is there a God? Yeah. By just constantly going back to that thing of, can you prove there's a God? Because if you can't do that, then none of the other shit that follows is even Yeah, relevant. it doesn't matter. It doesn't exactly. matter. So, But they'll just bring the Bible up as evidence, like, this is my yeah. proof, what the Bible says. Right. But half the battle is just trying to get them to understand that we don't see the Bible as evidence yeah. at all. Yeah. It's part of the claim, but it's not evidence. Right. Yeah. Even in Christianity, there's a huge percentage of people that don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And I always find that really bizarre because i grew up so much like embedded in the in inerrancy yeah, culture there's a another facebook group they're christians who believe in evolution and they're doing a lot of counter arguments to young earth and and they think they're like being so progressive by just destroying young earth creationism which is like not that hard <laughs> yeah it's not that hard because it's fucking dumb <laughs> but like it just boggles my mind like okay so you can use science to debunk young earth creationism but then in the very next breath you're going to use the Bible as your proof text for something else. Or feelings mm. or their faith. Yeah, you don't apply the same rigor to yeah. that claim than you do to the Young Earth creationism one. And I, yeah. it's amusing and frustrating at the it, same it's time. It's super frustrating. I actually, I don't care if Jesus existed as he described in the Bible, died, you know, and rose again. I actually don't care because that doesn't matter because the Old Testament is complete bullshit and you need the Old Testament for the New Testament to mean anything. And like there, there's no story, like coherent story that is actually demonstrably true from the Old Testament that actually leads up to Jesus' sacrifice even meaning anything. Yeah, <laughs> good. It's a house of cards. One of the other things that we've talked about a little bit is the idea of like grieving the loss of faith. Mm. How does deconversion affect your ability to grieve? Like you lost your mother mm. and you were deep in Christianity when that happened. When you deconverted, 
did you have to reprocess the idea of, oh, I lost my mom and all that went along with that? Like, how how did those two things kind of come together and how did you reconcile that process? Yeah, like when mom died, I, I didn't go and live with my dad. Like, I mum had made sure that I would go and live with another family from church. Um, and I still consider them to be my you know, family now. Like that hasn't really changed. So, I mean, from 13 till 21, I lived with them and, you know, was one of their kids and everything, um, in which was great in a lot of ways. But in other ways, the whole situation was really just swept under the rug. <laughs> There was no follow-up or counselling or any kind of therapy to address the fact that, you know, literally my whole family had died. I know it was one person, but um, I was very alone after that emotionally. So I felt like I couldn't grieve properly for her because that was somehow telling God that I didn't agree with his plan. Mm-hmm. You know, still now, like, I can, things can set me off like like anyone, like, damn of emotion that sort of held back 99% of the time, but, you know, I, it's still very, very real and very, very much there. And then, of course, I had this, not just an assumption, but like I knew that I would see her again in heaven and um, that made it a bit more bearable. But then when I began deconstructing and eventually deconverted all the way out of Christianity altogether, I had, you know, I had that realization that I have no reason to think that I will see her again. Like I have to kind of assume that this is it. Like uh, there's no afterlife, you know, it's great if there is maybe, <laughs> maybe big caveat, maybe it would have to depend on the nature of the afterlife, but I can't assume that. So I have to kind of come to terms with the fact that I, I'm not seeing her again and having to re grieve that whole process um as a someone who's i think i was almost 30 by this point was pretty hard you know i didn't have anyone around me anymore that even really knew her like Mm -hmm. the only people that did know her were all still very much entrenched in the church and i didn't really want to go to them and say hey i'm really upset because i don't think i'm going to see mum in heaven anymore because i don't think heaven is real and like they're not going to take that very well (laughs) right kind of had to just process it on my own and I guess grieving the the loss of faith at the same time I do find myself in the middle you know I'm very much staunchly atheist at least until someone comes up with better evidence like I'm not atheist because of the sake for the sake of it I I am because I, I don't see any any alternative that makes any sense and there's plenty of me that is like yeah fuck the church which you see a lot of in deconstruction circles and burn it all down but i'm also like well i i miss parts of it like i miss having a community i miss having people around me that i knew loved me and were there for me and grew grew up with and all that sort of thing and i had to actively walk away from that i i do feel sometimes that there's not a lot of space for that in between um you either you're completely in or you're completely out well i'm completely out but i also it still hurts it wasn't a clean break like it was it was very messy emotionally coming away from all that um it's still a process like i still find myself i have to talk about it all the time because i'm still processing it and that's Mm -hmm. how i process it is by getting it out and um, i think it'll be a long time before i can stop thinking about it yeah i sometimes think about with envy i think about people who are not raised in the church and they have no beef with religion and they can pass a church with and have zero thoughts about it or they don't need to process any of these emotions. And I wonder 
when will we get to a point where we can pass a church and have zero emotion about it? Yeah. And when will there come a day when we just don't think about religion and what it did to us? And like, what were we in? And how did we get out? And why were we lucky enough to get out? And what do we do about our families? There's so many facets of it that still affect us every day. Yeah. 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 Well, they're all like trauma responses. Like no matter the level that you came out of, whether it was like super deep or like even cursory, there's still all these responses are rooted in trauma, not physical trauma. Well, sometimes physical trauma, but like Mm. mental and emotional trauma that like is not something that's easy to recover from. And you mentioned that you never got to really process the grief of your mom passing as a child. As a 13-year-old, for one, that's hard enough to deal with the loss of a parent. But like in the Christian aspect, what were you told about that didn't really let you grieve that she was gone besides the fact that, oh, well, you'll see her in heaven? You know, what were some other ways that they kind of short-circuited that grief process? I feel like partly because I was transplanted into another family, it was just kind of like job done, you know, that's taken care of, don't even need to address it anymore. And it wasn't, it's almost like people just forgot. And I didn't have any brothers or sisters that I could commiserate with or like share that grief with. And I just had to internalize it because the world moves on. And the only kind of sort of responses I would get would be just think of what wonderful things God's going to do in your life because he's putting you through this now to strengthen you or some shit. I don't know. Like (laughs) how fucked up is that, that God has to take away the only person who I like loved and really loved me and that's somehow a good thing like I, I right just wait gotta work all this out for good well it's been 20 years right still don't know what the fuck that was meant to be good for like my life has moved on and I'm I'm fine ish now but that wasn't a good thing like that was yeah. not yeah. all things work out for the good of those who love him that was fucking awful and it will always be awful no matter how you look at it and being able to leave behind the idea that God might decide to do it again has been incredible. I was terrified that he would decide I wasn't trusting him enough and he needed to test me again and kill another one of my family members like my mm-hmm. wife or my mm-hmm. one of my kids. And I, that was a real concern. And what, what an awful thing to believe in. Like, what an awful God would do that. Like, that's not a loving God. Right. There is no narrative. There's no story that's sort of your life is following along this track. It's just shit's just happening as it happens. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. And that's so much more comforting. Yeah. Christians don't understand how that's more comforting. They mm. think it's more comforting to have this like pie in the sky idea of I'm going to see this person again, or there's a, a master plan or all things work together for good, blah, blah, blah. And they think that's comforting. And yeah. we feel like, well, no, it's actually more comforting to just know that shit happens. Yeah. And the reason that you're okay today, 20 years later is not because God taught you anything. It's because you fucking did it yourself. Yep. Yep. God's not doing shit. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's you. I feel like I had to always give God the credit for how quite unquote well I was doing when I wasn't doing well, but no one knew how to address it. And so they didn't. And I, at the time, consciously didn't really probably couldn't articulate just how much pain I was in because I like the, the brainwashing was that, you know, this is part of God's plan. You're doing you're doing fine. We're so proud of you. Your mom would be proud, et cetera, et cetera. But in these days, kids whose parents die get counseling. And I just didn't. Yeah. I was 28 when I finally went and saw someone. So that's a lot of repressed trauma. Oh yeah. Well I made I made my therapist cry. So that should say something. 
<laughs> you should get that session for free if you make the, yeah. <laughs> make the therapist cry. Yeah. I think one of the other things that I'm glad to be free from is like I, I'm glad that when I'm dead, I'm just dead. I'm not going to go up there and watch my, if I die in a car accident, I don't have to go up to heaven and watch my family grieve me. Like that was the worst fucking thought. I always thought like as, as bad as it is, I would rather them die and not have to grieve me. I'd rather, because I know what that's like, I'd rather... <laughs> I don't it was such a twisted sort of conundrum in my head but I couldn't just the thought of watching my family grieving me after I died was just like torture and I'm like how is that heaven yeah and I'm so glad to not have to like think that that's even remotely true now <laughs> is there a biblical evidence to support that people could look down from heaven and watch their loved ones or is that just something that people believe to make themselves feel better. I think that's sort of a like an assumption. I don't think there's biblical evidence for it. Well, I think there's the story uh, in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the poor guy who dies and the rich Lazarus, the person right. Lazarus yeah. can, you know, he could see across and he could see him like getting crumbs from the table. And, you know, so that's kind of where the yeah. idea came from okay. that, like, oh, when your loved ones die, they can look down on you and 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 see what you're doing and that that's where the whole idea of like oh well you're making that person proud in heaven yeah. because they can see because now they can see the world like god sees it that's kind of the other thing they Isn't taught. that creepy though that they can watch you shower and have yeah. sex and do all this other stuff of course. like how does that work does god like sh- shut off the broadcast during those activities or <laughs> like what is the mechanism I have to it's know up these on things. a big screen like in Batman Dark Knight where you just have like a bunch of screens and but like I- I'm imagining the Truman Show. Right. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. kind of thing. Well, like, I-, I always pictured that when like, you know, when the rapture happened and when we were all in heaven, like there was going to be because there's going to be an account, right, of all the things that we've done. And like fucking everyone's going to sit there and watch on slow motion all of our lives because we've got time for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> that's awful. eternity to watch everyone's life on slow motion. And I was like, oh, I don't want people to like. People have yeah. so much anxiety over every little yeah. thing they do because they think this is actually going to happen. Yeah, right. No, it's so nice to not have to think that way. And like, why? Yeah, I'm like, why did I ever think that? There's no evidence for it. Like, you're dead. Like, no one has yeah. come back and told us about it. <laughs> Why and how do certain people, quote unquote, see the light and get out and why some people are just in and are they destined to stay in or like, Hmm. what is it that allows some people to kind of get out of this bubble and see things differently? Like for you, what do you kind of feel like? is the reasoning kind of behind that if if reasoning is the right word i don't know that's a question that i i don't have any good answers for i've thought about that a lot myself like because plenty of people myself included like it wasn't a choice i one day found myself on this slippery slope and i couldn't get off it like my brain dragged me kicking and screaming out of this faith mindset and like i had i had no real part in it like there wasn't like an active thing that i participated in it was just something that happened and like why does that happen to me and not other people i I don't know like i'm some people have suggested oh it's an intelligence thing i'm like well no because they're at like francis collins the Mm -hmm. human genome project guy that people always use as like the the smart christian example like (laughs) people can compartmentalize their faith and and keep it separate from their rational thinking and and their intelligence and so i like i I don't know. I don't understand why some people chosen to use a, a 
poor term um to to fall out of it um and some people are not and why they will will they just stay in it forever i don't know like is there really any free will at all like is this something that i was always going to do i certainly didn't think so yeah i like i yes i do use rational thinking and critical thinking skills and like data plays a lot into how i do my job but that doesn't mean shit i don't think like i think there's plenty of people who will stay in it forever and for various reasons and yeah i i, I don't know I, I i'd love to do a study or no no other study that sort of dives into this and like why certain people deconstruct and deconvert and why others don't and like if there's any kind of pattern but I don't see one. Like, it's not like we wanted to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. Susie may have. But yeah, like... <laughs> no, I was just thinking that. I think going back to the intelligence thing, people who are more intelligent, it's easier for them to rationalize mm. away the cognitive dissonance. So I think they're better at smoothing over like those bumps that we all hit when we have two opposing worldviews yeah. smashing up against each other. So yeah. I don't know like what that says about us because we weren't able to do that very well. But yes, I yeah. agree that intelligence does not have much to do with it. And I always found it interesting. Like if you listen to a lot of the graceful atheist um, podcasts, the stories are all so different. And like your story is very different than my story. And it's different than Susie's story, but we all end up at the same place. And there are certain commonalities that every story seems to have. And like hardly anybody, it's just like, oh, this one thing happened and I was out. There's a couple of people where you hear like, oh, this happened. And I was like, fuck that. Yeah. Like it's all these little things in our mind that are like, something's not right there. Something's not right there. And then I think the only unifying factor is that everyone that gets yes. out at some point had a willingness to pull the thread. Yeah, they had a willingness to pull the thread of the sweater and say, whatever happens when I pull this thread, I'm going to go with it. I'm not going to try to define the narrative. So I think willingness is probably the only factor that everybody had. And I think back to something that actually kind of was the start of my deconstruction. It was a pastor actually that said that God is big enough for you to pull at the bricks in your faith wall. And what they don't realize is that if you actually are willing to pull up the bricks, the chances of the wall falling down are pretty freaking strong. Yeah. And there's not just there's not just that wall. There's also the wall that does God even exist behind that wall that he's talking about. Because when when they say things like that, it's still they're still like they're saying, Oh yeah, you can you can pull away at those bricks because God can handle it. I'm like, but right. caveat being don't pull out the wall that questions whether or not God even exists. Because once you do that, you're fucked. Right. Like um, or rather they are, because it's like that's when it starts coming down. Like the early, the smaller wall can lead to the, the bigger one, but it's almost like they don't either aren't aware or won't acknowledge the elephant in the room that there is another bigger assumption that they're just ignoring. And that is, right. is God even real? Is any of it even real? Like you can write a thousand stories about this God that you've assumed exists, but if you take a step back and question that assumption, then suddenly if you're going to be, you know, intellectually honest about it, you find that there's not much there. Yeah. You're allowed to ask certain questions, but then if you ask the one big question, well, then you're like a heretic and yeah. what good is asking only some of the questions? Most people that are asking questions want the whole truth. They don't just want a pat answer. They want a real answer. Yeah. And most Christians don't actually have a real answer beyond the Bible says so, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think they just assume that those sort of periphery questions like about how the world came into being and all that is all sort of understood and settled and that they don't need to question that. And like, as though there's some 
value in saying, well, we've got a we've got an answer right here. Like the Bible says this, and you know, you atheists and evolutionists, and you think that the world came from nothing. I'm like, well, it's not actually what we're saying. Like, <laughs> no one's saying that. If you actually read the literature on it and trying to understand the science behind it. No one's saying that everything came from nothing. Right. But we can only, we're saying we can only measure back to a certain point. We don't know what happened before then. And that's actually okay. Like yeah. it's okay to not know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's annoying. I'd like to know, but <laughs> yeah, filling it in with a, with a God of the gaps is, is actually, it's not satisfactory. I mean, this has been a really fun conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, some heartbreaking stuff in there too, like in your story, which I think I think it's important to like have that stuff in the story because I think people who listen or you people that hear about deconstruction, they think it's all happy-go-lucky and it's like, oh, we just got out because we wanted to sin. Yeah, definitely. No, it's <laughs> not. It's actually painful and traumatic. And then the upside of that is that there is like hope on the other side of that pain, you know, that you can accomplish, you know, with therapy and finding a community like we found in different groups and, Mm. and by talking about it, like, because there's a lot of power in people's stories. Yeah. What's like kind of a little, I don't know, nugget that you would (laughs) give somebody, you know, if they're questioning or if they're, yeah, if they're questioning or if they're out and they are, you know, having doubts about their deconversion, like maybe something you wish you knew when you were deconstructing. Yeah, I mean, there's so much I could say. I mean, like, I, it's okay to deconstruct and do it the way you want to do it and not to, you don't have to follow a certain path. You don't have to end up in any particular place. Like, and I remember being terrified of this destination. I could feel myself inching towards where there was this like non-belief in God looming over my head. And I don't know what that world looks like. That sounds terrifying. Like, what if I'm wrong? It's actually not terror. It's it's actually okay. <laughs> like it was terrifying at the time, but like you get used to you get used to it, and it's actually makes life so much more sweeter because of it. Because there's not this expectation of you know I can just oh I can get to that in heaven. Like <laughs> um, you know you you take advantage of the life that you have that you know that you have now. You, you you live it properly now rather than just focusing on this one thing that you don't even know is real go where the truth leads and if you land on a particular area which doesn't necessarily align with what other people think then that's fine there's no camps there's there's no atheists like um, monolith where you have <laughs> to follow a certain path and you have to think this and you have to do that we're all very different. There are commonalities, but we're not like a cohesive group anymore. Like we've all got our own perspectives and it's actually, it's okay to to not be part of any particular group and you can actually think for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's on their own journey and whatever journey and path you're on is okay. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's okay if you like, I, I'm a, very much an atheist, but it's okay for me to listen to worship music because I want to. Who, who the fuck cares? Exactly. Like, there's no rules. Yeah. yeah. Well, we appreciate you being on and glad we're able to work it out with the crazy uh time difference. Yeah, no, thanks. Um yeah, thank I really you. enjoyed it. So thank you, Phil and Susie. It's been great. What did you think of his story? 
I really enjoyed talking to him and I feel like he probably has a lot more to, like that he could go into, but I think it's always really good to just hear people's stories. I was shocked about his mom dying when he was 12. I knew that yeah. his mom had died, but I assumed it was when he was older. And to have his only support person to die that young, that must have been really hard. And I found it so bizarre that like they just didn't address yeah. like that he lost his mom. They just were like, okay, you're part of our family now. It's okay. She's in heaven. Let's move on. Like that seems like so bizarre to me. Even even from a Christian standpoint, that just seems really strange. Like, Does it though? Because... I thought that like Christians, they have to have that persona or that surface thing where you have to make it look like everything's okay because you can't admit there's something wrong with you inside because that means you're not right with God. Yeah. Like I remember during a church service, the pastor said that one of the problems with our country is that we go to therapy instead of reading the Bible more. That's just the mentality of some some people yeah. in Christianity, obviously not all Christians. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to a seminar. With a picture of a snake on the front of it, it said the eagle evils of psychology. So I remember that. In it's a almost like Scientology. It's like a church seminar. Like, is but what did you think about his description of how he let go of faith and how that was for him? It sounded like it was kind of treacherous for him. It's traumatic. It's destructive on some levels. Like when he was talking about thinking about losing his wife and you know his family because of leaving his faith. Like that's real anxiety. That's not like oh, I'm just going to let go of God and everything will be fine. Like, you know, he's there's a lot of fear there. Like, And also, I think it was really evident that he didn't do this to himself. Like, all he did was go open his mind up to other worldviews. And it's what he found is what changed his right. views. It's not anything that he did. Like, he didn't choose it. And I felt that same thing when I left. Like, I knew that people were going to deflect it back on me and say, like, why did you do this? Why did you decide to not be a Christian anymore. And I felt like people wouldn't understand that this isn't something that I did. I can't help that the Gospels were anonymous. I can't right. help that they were written so many years after the fact. I can't help these things that I discovered along the way. Right. It's not like I made up these facts to support my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. We're actually looking for the facts and then taking that evidence and saying, well, this doesn't line up with what I thought was true. So I can either continue believing the thing that doesn't have the evidence or I can accept which is the bad evidence. epistemology, which apparently Jesus loves. <laughs> maybe we need maybe we need some shirts that says Jesus, Jesus loves, loves bad, bad epistemology. epistemology. A funny t-shirt like, instead of the song. But, Jesus loves you. Yeah. We can put that out for Valentine's Day. Like and then put some snakes on it. <laughs> some snakes wrapped around <laughs> yeah. the heart. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Be sure to join us on our Facebook group, Dangerous Questions, and follow us at flawedtheologypodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the podcast on Google, Spotify, Apple. Those uh, reviews are really cool and we like to hear from them. So until next time, keep asking the dangerous questions. See you next time.
I'm regretting now that I didn't uh, run my Australian accent by him, though, just to... Are you, though? Oh, do it now. No. I want to hear it. I was... No, come on, please. <laughs> I was doing it earlier, talking to my uh, 12-year-old who really likes doing accents, too. I... <laughs> I actually really wanted to be like, hey, give me a quick eval on my Australian accent and see what you think. Like, I don't think I've seen Thor Ragnarok, so. Oh man, so when you were laughing at my reference, it was just, you were pretending. Yeah, I still laugh, like if you say something that I think is funny, even if I don't know okay. the reference. Like, <laughs> I just was like thinking it was from mythology. So I was mm. like, okay, yeah, that's hilarious. But I didn't realize it was from the movie. Oh, okay, gotcha. So yeah. Okay, well go watch Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, well, it's not gonna happen right now because I'm going to bed. No, but, I um, know not today. But yeah, my kids probably have seen all of them and then I don't, ever get to sit down and watch a whole movie so oh you're too busy yeah too busy well it's because i'd rather be sleeping or i you know would rather be sleeping <laughs>